This episode of See Here doesn't put out, man. Episode 2 of the See Here podcast. This is the discussion about music-related films. So happy to be back. It's only been a month since we put the last episode online, but it feels so much longer than that. And and I I hope that uh, both of you listeners out there have uh, been waiting with bated breath for this new episode. So uh, let me go around the table and introduce the trio, plus our special guest, reviewer for this show. Uh, my name is Morris, and over in Korea we have Mr. Tim Merrill. Good morning, Tim. <coughs> and over, How are you? I, I look, I'm all the better for hearing your dulcet tones. In the United States of America, in Chicago, Illinois, we have Ms. Wendy Freeman. Hey, friends. Ms. Double Page spread herself. And over in the UK, a man who lives in a town that is quite apt with its name, considering the weather conditions over there, Mr. Bernard Stickwell. Good evening to you, Bernard. Hello, uh, everybody. Uh, Thanks for having me. Thank you for being head. Now, I believe that you had a particular uh, love and affinity for the film that we're going to be discussing on this program, so um, we thought you'd be uh, an apt fit. I should say we're discussing, ladies and gentlemen, the fabulous stains. This was... uh, Wendy's pick, but we'll uh, we'll talk about our uh, feelings about that film in uh, in a few minutes. But uh, Mr. Sticky, good to have you on board. And and what's happening? You were you, know, you were going to be starting up a uh, new podcast. Uh, oh well, Maurice, Maurice, Morris. You should, shouldn't be mentioning that yet because. Oh, um, oh sorry. Oh, I'll edit that bit out. No, nothing is set in stone. There there are some plans, but um, the problem is that myself and the other fellow doing it were kind of both pretty lazy. Uh, and so it's we need to uh, get on the horse and actually start riding it, you know. So what you uh, really need to do is get the enthusiasm for the first, you know, two three episodes, and then get lazy and sort of go online and you know, don't yeah. sort of point the finger at any one particular podcast, but you know, just say, oh, I don't know who you possibly mean. Ah, can't can't be fucked doing this episode. <laughs> but you know, don't no, well, you know, we have good intentions, and and hopefully this year we will um, we'll get off our fat asses and do something about it. Nice. So nice. Uh, coming soon to an iPod near you, maybe. To your ear holes. <laughs> I think someone uses that one already, don't they? Oh, right. Oh, uh, right. I'm not sure. Hang on, have, um, have, they, have they paid for the copyright? Uh, they, yeah, there you go. Well, there you maybe go. So I, I could um, do you can, you the coming in your ear holes cast. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> coming in your ear holes. <laughs> oh, God. There we go. Um, and so, Wendy, Tim, how, how, how are you guys? Wendy, you first. All well? Oh man, I'm just doing great. What's what's <laughs> new and exciting in your life? Oh, nothing, you know, double page spread chugs along and yes. uh, the trashy trio chugs along. <clears throat> uh, you know, just spending my days uh god. <laughs> baking any baking going on, Wendy? I have so much baking going on at all times. <laughs> <laughs> 
I made yes. little coffee cakes the other day. Yeah. For Valentine's Day, I made whoopie pies. Like they're like um they're like reverse cupcakes. Reverse cupcakes. That sounds amazing. <laughs> what is a reverse cupcake? Yeah, yeah. It's like it's like two cakes with with gush in the middle. It's great. Gush. Wow. Splooge. Has it got a splooge in the middle? <laughs> <laughs> it, it, I, I would have thought that rather than calling it Wookie cupcakes, you would have called you know, great walking carpets or something like that. No, they're whoopie pies. That's Wh- a whoopie pies. Excuse me. Whoopie, whoopie. Oh, whoopie! I thought whoopie all this time. No, I kept whoopie. on thinking. I kept on thinking <laughs> it was something Star Wars related. Which no. Whoopie oh, yeah, pies. They're like you know. They're they're like a more portable cupcake. Right. Yeah. That sounds like some. T- no, that sounds like some type of nasty euphemism your parents would use when they want to get get it on. It's oh. like, does Daddy want some whoopie pies? Oh, that daddy! Daddy wants his whoopie pie. <laughs> if uh, you know the, the husband wanted that euphemism, you'd say, "Hey, you want to go in the kitchen and make whoopie or something like that." <laughs> that's only something right. like if you're on the Newlywed Show. That's right. <laughs> it's like some awful 1970s euphemism. Right, them. right. Yeah. Well, I, I wish I had one thing to say to that, which is uh, in the butt, Bob. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. That's classic. That's classic. <laughs> well, welcome out there to Silver and Gold, and um, <laughs> we've, we've we've descended into madness over here. So um, I, I think with on, on that note, what we'll do is we'll go cut to a, a quick break and then clean our mouths out with soap, and we'll talk about the film of the day, which is, ladies and gentlemen, the fabulous Stains, which I, I guess itself could be a euphemism for something. We'll come back in a moment and uh, talk about that. You're listening to See Here. We'll be back in a moment. As long as you're not getting a stain from a whoopie pie leaking out. <laughs> Trick or Treat Radio is a phantasmagorical spin kick straight through the heart of pop culture, navigated by the Deadites. We are the world's greatest electroshock band, we destroy monsters, we drink booze, and we win championship belts. If you're not listening to Trick or Treat Radio, here's a taste of what you've been missing. There's three guarantees in life. What are they? Death. Taxes and Trick or Treat Radio every Friday morning. This is one of the most convoluted movies I've ever seen in my life. I'm fucking trying, man. Hi, hi, hi. Oh, yeah. Hey, hey, hey. Oh, yeah. It's like <laughs> you took a shit on a pile of shit. But you shit on him right. for liking what he likes. Yeah, well, it's my job. This podcast is now banned in Germany. <laughs> it's me, Giovanni Lombardo Radici. Shut up. I call bullshit. I demand someone to bring me the face of Lindsay Lohan. If I had genitals, I would definitely bang her. Oh, wait. She's a great big fan person. You just hit the jackpot. This is a weird movie, huh? It had action. It had suspense. It had great characters. It had great acting. I'm going to strangle you with my jockey shorts. I don't like mobster movies. All right, well, here's my take. You're a sick fuck. Thank you. Now shut the fuck up and let me talk. Have you ever seen 2001? The box, right? The box and the monkeys. Available on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and trickortreatradio.com. You're fired. I need the money. Corinne Burns, what are you going to do? My name is not Corinne Burns. Oh, what is it? It's third degree burn. I'm the lead singer and manager for the Stains. And it has become clear to several thousand very young women, inspired by an unreported rock and roll band with see-through blouses and white stripes in their hair, that life is to be lived right now. 
gonna be really good. Can't explain it. What it really amounts to is girl dropouts who are using the media. She said things that I've always wanted to say, and I haven't been able to. We're the stains, and we don't put out. We weren't like that, were we, Brenda? No, we weren't. You are moving so fast. You're happening so fast. You can't afford to be loyal to this guy. Why are you still hanging around here? Why don't you just go back to wherever it was you came from? You've got a lot to learn, you little... Yeah, I don't see the girl for free. I Entertainment presents a Lou Adler film. Ladies and gentlemen, the fabulous stains. DVD and soundtrack now available. Listening to the See Here podcast. Morris here, Wendy there, Tim there, and our special guest, Mr. Bernie Sticky. Sticky! Also there. I I do feel very special to be here. Thank you, guys. So, we're here to talk about, ladies and gentlemen, the fabulous stains. Do I go reading the uh, IMDb review? Yes, please. Give us a synopsis. Okay, the synopsis. The media and disaffected teens mistake the exurbic... Is that how it's pronounced? Exurbic? Acerbic. There you acerbic. go. I'm, I'm completely illiterate. I can, I can read reading, but I can't read writing. Uh, okay. The media and disaffected teens mistake the acerbic rants of, a, of an obnoxious teenage punk rocker as a rallying cry for the women of America, launching her and her talentless group to national stardom. I think that's actually quite a, uh, a good summary. Right. I'm glad they emphasized the word talentless. Right. Yes. Yes. I, I was. I was going to bring that up in my um, my critique of them, but but you know they've they've beaten me to the punch. So I, I think you know Wendy, this was your pick. So you you start off, and we'll just shoot you down in flames every time you say it's good or something like that. Yes. Yes. Well, I mean, you know, I, it was hard for me to get past much in this movie aside from uh, Paul Simino. How do you say Paul? His last name. The guy from the class. Simonin. 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 This movie should Paul just be called Paul Simonin's Excellent Cheekbones. I don't, <laughs> I don't think much else happened in the movie for me except for the excellent bone structure of Paul Simonin. I mean, you, you picked this. I thought this is a film you were madly in love with. Oh, it is. I love this movie. I think it's a, I think it's a really, really good movie. I feel like it's still very, it holds up very, very well today. And, uh... It's funny because, like, last time we were talking about how much I hated that documentary about, um, you know, about uh, Kathleen Hanna, and I feel like this this predates that so much. This movie predates uh-huh. Riot Girl. It predates a lot of the 
but it's so very, very, uh, uh, you know, affecting and, and prescient of that type of stuff to come, you know? And, and it's so, it's so very much like, um, like she becomes this media superstar based on the, like the video of her, uh, quitting her job. And we have stuff like that that happens on YouTube all the time now. You know, like now we have all these, right. all these uh, uh, ways of seeing people, disaffected people, blowing people off, and you know, right. uh, yeah, being the voice of of our own frustration, that type of thing. Sure. Right. So just like uh, something like uh, the, the Truman Show, which went and predated right. so-called reality television. This and we're going. I don't. I don't mean to interject here, but did anybody else get a little bit of a network vibe off uh, of this thing? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that too. Definitely. I, I hadn't thought of that. that but yeah, I see it. Yeah, very good. Between, yeah, the interactions between the two anchors, the co-anchors. Yeah. Right. And just the yeah, idea that, of that the media the darling. Sorry, I was right. going to say that guy with the mustache was, um, he was a total wanker, <laughs> basically. <laughs> oh, hang, hang on. A, 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 real, a real twat. Uh, yeah, there you go, Tim. Yeah. Well, hang, hang on, hang on. So, is is this a hang on? Is that so? Is that word actually sort of pronounced like the other way, Bernie? Is it Wonka? Uh, oh no, no, oh, no Isn't more. he it's the guy that makes chocolate? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Will, or is it Willy Wanker in his chocolate factory? Yeah. I, I wouldn't know. eat Willy Wanker chocolate. I can tell you that right yeah. now. <laughs> he makes Tim, them whoopie pies. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh! All right. So anyway, yeah. So um, let, let's let's give. A, I've gone and read the IMDb summary, but Wendy, sort of run us through the you know the early events of the film that lead to. Um, that can lead can to I just cut in quickly here? Please, Sorry, this please. is very please brief. Do. But um, that that first scene uh, that you just mentioned, where she quits oh. her job, did you guys notice who the her boss was? No, no. Uh, no it's Brent Spiner. Said, it was Data fine. from Star Trek: The Next Generation. Oh, so I, wow. I never got beyond Nerd. Captain Kirk. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he had a mustache as well. It's pretty good. I wanted to say something, too, before we get into the actual synopsis and uh, looking at stats moment by moment and get into the film. I wanted to say that, uh, just for a second, the director, Lou Adler, I uh, just wanted to just say a couple of things about him. Actually, what's funny is it being a music film... He had a huge background in music because Lou Adler, the the way I knew Lou Adler initially was through Cheech and Chong. I was going to say, the first thing that I remember of Lou Adler was I had a 45 single years ago of uh, Earache My Eye. Right. And, and his he, name he, was on that. Well, he, yeah. he did more. Than, he, dire he directed Up in Smoke. And also he produced like so many artists. It's not even funny. I mean, you know. He produced Spirit, he produced Cheech and Chong, he produced Sam Cooke, he produced, like, so many people, it's not even funny. I mean, like, his his directorial canon is not notable at all, really, because it's just up in smoke and the fabulous stains. But coming at it from a music background, you know, this guy was uh, pretty renowned, I mean, for what, for what he was involved in. So I think it's kind of interesting... If if it was a director who really didn't have a musical background approaching this kind of material, it might have been quite different. But I mean, Adler, with what he had done in the past coming in, I think it was really uh, it was really notable and added to the film. Well, look, it's it's interesting you bring that up because I mean I know we're going to maybe talk about this a little bit more further down the track once we sort of talk about developments in the film. But my take on this is this was less so much a film about a music group and more 
Hollywood's impression of right, what's big out there? It's ah, uh, it's 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 punk, and of course they were two years too late, but. Oh yeah, punk is a thing. All right, well, this is our perception of what the music scene is is right. about, and we'll have this faux rebellion by the kids, and then, right. well, anyway, look, I'll, I'll, we'll we'll take that further on. Uh, but um, yeah. but anyway, I remember um, I first saw this movie on late at night on like Night Flight or USA Up All Night or something. Yeah. It was on one of those like weird sort of late night cable things, right? And, and I just remember thinking, like, I had no idea why nobody had told me this movie existed. Like, I had no right. idea uh, anything about it. And and I thought it was really odd. And then, wasn't it, it wasn't on video for a long time, right? It wasn't on DVD. Right, right. It no, it wasn't. But I remember right. seeing this, uh, they used to run this in a, with a double bill of a Jodie Foster film called Foxes. Yes, oh, yes. Wow. <laughs> That's great, I remember. Right. And it was that Foxes, or used to run it with uh, Liquid Sky, or uh, what was it? De- Debbie Harry, term- uh, what was the city? Something city. Uh, oh, it's like a noir film with Debbie Harry. Union City, I think it yeah, was yeah, called. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right. Well, they used to, they, they, we used to have a channel, 79, that would run the uh, late night movies, all night movies. So after you're done partying or stuff, and you go home and finally settle into your cave. Yeah, you know, they used to run these movies all night, and that's the first time I remember seeing the stains. Until Wendy brought this up, I actually hadn't even heard of the film, and then I sort of did the research and found out that it had lasted like precisely a week in the cinema, you know, in the states. Probably never made its way down here, and um, yeah, it was was not an easy film to find. So I didn't feel too bad about it. But uh, right. was it um, unavailable for so long? Was that some weird music rights thing, or was it? Uh... <laughs> I think of. there had to be something about the music rights, maybe. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I guess. So let's talk about the. Let's talk about the musicians in this movie. Let's yes. talk about it. First of all, Fee Waybill of of the Tubes playing the uh, the lead singer of what is basically Kiss. I got it. I got. Oh, you know, oh, thank thank you, Wendy, because I'm watching I'm watching Fee Waybill with all that makeup on his face, and the first thing I think of he's he's doing he's taking the piss out of Paul Stanley. He looked completely yeah, right. like Paul Stanley. And you know what? When I heard that Fee Weibel was in this, I thought, "All right, I'm interested. I'm really, really interested." Because, as you may or may not know, I am a huge fan of the Tubes, and um, and then I saw, "Oh my God, there's Vince Welnick as well." And Vince Welnick, his his turn of you know, just it, it was like Silent Bob or a drugged out Silent Bob. He was you know, just <laughs> right. I just thought it was the funniest thing, you know, where where um, you know. Fee Wable and, and Vince Welnick, they're playing with uh, with their band, uh, the Metal Corpses, and uh, Vince Welnick, you know, standing there playing the guitar, and at the end of it, he's looking completely stoned, and he, he finishes off with this harmonica solo on this song that's completely inappropriate. It just absolutely... Right. Yeah, no, I, I, my, the thing I wanted to say about um, Fee Wable after watching this is what, I'd love to see any other film, film that... Um, that Waybill has done, I think, you know, within certain role types, he'd be uh, he'd be his- hysterical. I think he just had this uh, natural, almost uh, spinal tap feel about him. He was fantastic in this, wasn't he? He really was. I think the only other thing that I know he's been in, but it wasn't really acting, I believe. Uh, he- was he in Xanadu? I think the tubes. Yes, were- he is. The tubes. Yeah, no, Xanadu. Yeah, yeah. 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 No, he really I mean, captured. Yeah, he really I- captured the excess. I think in this film, he really captured the excess and just that whole. You know where uh, they were being—they were on their way out. That whole—that whole thing about the uh, the generation of glam was on its way out, 
And, well, I think you know, the, the uh, one one of the themes of the film really is, uh, you know, the, the old guard going out and the new replacing right, that's it. What I'm, even yeah, with yeah. the stains, what happens towards the end of the movie? Yep. It's like right. you know, suddenly they're not new anymore. They're the old guard and they're being shouted off. You know. Yep. Right, right. 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 Sorry. So now, right. does does Diane Lane ever age? <laughs> like she is so she's so wonderfully fresh faced in this movie. She's so so pretty. And and she always like she still looks so great. Yeah, but she doesn't yeah. look fifteen years old anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah, I mean there sure. there, was, there there were you know that moment with uh, with um, Diane Lane and Ray Winstone in the in the shower made me think. Oh, hang on, <laughs> has uh, certain government agencies been called in? <laughs> Surely this can't be legal. Yeah, Laura Dern looks great. She's so like I really, really liked. I think they picked the right actresses. I feel like all these girls had that sort of like uh, uh, smart-mouthed naivete to them. Yes. You know, like right. I, I, and and also uh, they're from a shitty town in Pennsylvania, and I'm from a shitty town in Pennsylvania. <laughs> so right. I felt you know I felt kinship to these girls, which I think is what you're supposed to you know. But right. the one thing that. Um, I just have to say this, or I'm going to forget about it. Was uh, the whole the whole look of uh, the whole look of Diane Ladd with her her red makeup and her her hair and everything? I mean, I to me initially the first thing that came out of my mind was uh, Catwoman because <laughs> uh, no, I don't mean Batman's Catwoman. I mean like like the Pistols Catwoman. Yeah, it is. It is. That's oh, exactly yeah. right. Yeah. 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 Sue. I think her name was Sue, and it, not Susie Sue, but obviously, but I mean, Su- but I think her name was Sue. But yeah, I think it was Sue Catwoman, wasn't it? Something like that. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And I think that's where that that's the whole nod was to Catwoman. Yeah. I'm just uh, yeah, Sue Catwoman with two O's. Right. There you go. So uh, yeah. Have you guys know what I'm talking about, Morris? No, no, no. I don't. No, I, I saw um not not the uh, not the great rock and roll swindle. I saw um. The filth. Uh, the, the, the filth and the fury. You know, I, I, right. I, I, I sort of heard you know that there was all this thing about the great rock and roll swindle was more about Malcolm McLaren's perspective well, of things, but the, right. the but the filth and the fury I found fascinating. Love that. Catwoman's in both of them, but I mean, when you see her look, when you see the photograph, you'll say, "Oh shit, yeah, like that's it. That's exactly uh, it." I yeah. mean, I've just uh, I'm just posting a picture of her in the uh, uh, Love That Album Facebook group, Morris. Oh, good, good. Let me have a look. There you go. Spitting image. Hang on, she it? was. Uh, I'm sure she was one of the uh, the people there at the you know the infamous Sex Pistols Bill Grundy TV incident. Right. So she, oh, she, so she was. She was on the set when they were when they were calling that guy. You fucker. You yeah, rotter. Yeah. You rotter. Yeah. That's oh, it, yeah. 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 Oh, completely. Completely. Do you think yeah. she? Do you think she's um she's wearing a, a see-through top just like Diane Lane does in the in the movie? <laughs> yeah. Probably. Oh, I love how they kept telling you over and over she was wearing a see-through top, but they're very, very, they're way more into showing the other girls in see-through tops. Like, yes, yes. They disagree with her. Like they just wanted to tell you about how you know how trashy she looked, but yeah, there, there is. Uh, there's, there's one shot later on in the film where the uh, you know they're playing to that huge audience of skunks, and the, the camera just pans down onto a, a, a kind of pair of boobs through a see-through top, and it just holds it for about three seconds. <laughs> You know, not that I was playing, paying super close attention or anything, but like you said, they do make a note of, of saying all the see-through talks constantly, and uh, yeah, they, they showed it as well. Did it give you the orn? <laughs> <laughs> Anything gives me the orn, Tim. Yeah. Oh, 
fucking home. Oh, it'll all got the home. Oh, oh, God, love. So yeah, the Sue Catwoman look was very obviously an influence on the stains. Mm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so at this stage, probably we've gone and discussed specific instances, but maybe for the uh, benefit of those listening out there, sort of give it like a little bit of a story arc. We've gone and done the IMDb summary, but. Um, we should probably sort of like say, right, well, what happens? You know, uh, we, we got a, uh, the, the three major characters, well, uh, uh, Corinne, third degree Burns, and her, uh, and her sister and her cousin, and they, they form this, they form this band. Who, oh, I love that line where they say, oh, yeah, we've had, we've only had three rehearsals. Yeah, but there were three really long rehearsals. Um, <laughs> and uh, they, they uh, managed to get themselves on board a tour bus with uh, these two other groups, the Metal Corpses and the Looters, which we should probably speak about the Looters in a couple of minutes. Uh, and right. it's about, um, I guess, their adventures being as part of that tour and their position going from nothing to being uh, media media darlings. Right. It's, it's basically one of those, you know, famous circus comes to town stories right. where there's, there's, there's so many bands that have actually evolved from this kind of scenario and so many artists where you know people have come out of buttfuck nowhere and all of a sudden a tour comes through and, and and they kind of have this epiphany or they kind of have this kind of like the sky opens up and they see the the possibilities of of greater things to come and they have to catch you know they catch a catch a wave on this uh you know and they did. They just ride it as far as they can ride it, and then eventually they find out that, as Zeppelin says, you know, everything that glitters is in gold. You know, it's just, uh, it's not what they, not what they thought it was going to be. Yeah, yeah, that's completely correct. I mean, without wanting to give away the ending, or I don't know whether we should or we shouldn't, but sort of as, as we find, <laughs> I'm wondering whether the closing credits the end is supposed to be ironic or it's supposed to be the hollywood ending right it's interesting i, I was going to uh when we get to that stage i was going to talk about the ending and what kind of message it gives for the movie as a whole uh yeah it's it's not a not a because great it, one but then again it could be it's not i'm, it I'm wondering out of place i think well, all I can say is I was very, very pleased that they learned to play their instruments by the end of the movie. <laughs> like that redeemed it. That redeemed it for me because you know it's right. such a it's such a pet peeve of mine when women can't play well. <laughs> oh, they were oh, well. That's that's the thing. I guess have we already gone and said that they were they were pretty awful musicians. Yeah, they're awful. All right. So now I I also I really really have been itching to get into uh, you guys' opinion on the moral crux of the movie when. Uh, right. When the stains essentially become famous by stealing the looter's song, right? Like, yeah. do you did that make you uh, dislike the girls? If anything, it made me like them more because I thought the looters were kind of a bunch of dicks. <laughs> Ray Winstone, particularly. Ray Winstone um, has a good line in being a in being a dick. Yeah, yeah, he's he's your go-to guy for uh, sweary Cockney gits, I think. So, right. um, but no, if anything, it, it was just because you know. Corinne had such a sort of nihilistic attitude mm-hmm. and nothing mattered and what could be more punk than stealing someone else's song and then saying, right. you know, essentially fuck you and doing a better job with it than the looters did in the first place. So, uh, well, I, th- 
the funny thing I thought about the looters as a whole with the band is that, you know, it's almost like this Spinal Tap thing where, you know, when Spinal Tap the movie came out, a lot of people were laughing, but then a lot of artists actually saw it and they said, that's not funny, that, that happened to us. That, that, yeah, that, yeah. That, that, that's yeah. our band, you know. And I think that, you know, when you see the guys fighting amongst themselves and you see all the pettiness and the shit and them getting fed up and winding up in parking lots in mid-America and stuff, I mean, like, where, where, whereas Diane Ladd and, you know... Uh, Diane Lane. Uh, Diane Lane, sorry. <laughs> Diane Lane, you know, all that's... Uh, they're, they're portraying a role. It's like Jonesy, you know, and Simon and, you know, and those guys, I mean, Cook, they really did that. Mm -hmm. I mean, like, it's, they, it's, it's they had been It's very similar to the, uh, the Sex Pistols, Pistols Final Pistols Tour. Pistols American it? Tour, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. And it's even, and I think they even note it because on the front of the bus it says U.S. Tour. Yes. And that was, yeah. and that was the same thing that the Pistols had on the front of their bus. I mean, when they went and played Texas and everything else, but... But no, I, I just thought it was kind of funny how the whole pissiness of the looters, you know, where that was kind of more authentic to me because I'm, I, I know that, you know, these guys are really legitimate musicians as opposed to, you know, the kind of, you know, roles that, uh, you know, the Stains were playing. It's interesting with the, um, with the looters. I don't know because I'm coming at this from a, a British uh, point of view, but they sort of, my feeling towards British punk is that it was mainly about posturing and it wasn't and and substance style sorry it wasn't about substance mm. um, well, and, and, and the looters do that perfectly they're just a bunch of pissed off people you know raging against whatever they can rage against but with no real substance to what they're doing that's certainly exactly. how I interpreted it anyway yeah sure so. sure but I think it's a real meta thing, too, because if you look at it, right, like, you know, there's those that will argue that, you know, they that eternal argument about, well, where did punk originate, you know, in the West or, did, I mean, well, in America or, or <laughs> it was Brit Japan. It was Chinese, yeah. No, 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 yeah, right. No, but I meant, Century. hey, hey, I'm, in, I'm getting into my cups here. Leave me alone, all right? But, I mean, uh, no, but I meant that, you know, the argument between, you know, whether it originated in England or America, but there's the whole thing about so if you all, look all at you, like all you guys are missing the point. It originated in Brisbane with the Saints, right? Exactly. <laughs> Point, no, yeah, I was gonna say, I was gonna say with, you know, it, it there's a meta thing because if you really look at like Vivian Westwood, and you look at Malcolm, and them kind of you know mass marketing that whole anti-establishment punk ethos, you know, like I mean out of the sex uh, store. Yeah. Well, and of course I McLaren mean, got it all when he went and uh, managed the New York Dolls for a while anyway. Right. Didn't he? Sure, so, sure, yeah. sure, sure. But 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 my point is is the idea of. You know that the whole mass marketed, you know, packaged, you know, packaged anarchy that you're talking about, Bernie. You know, like saying that there's the words and there's the kind of gestures, but there's nothing behind it. Sure. Yeah. I, and, and then, and then, you know, whereas Diane, 
Lane. <laughs> she she uh, she sees it in you know uh, Winstone, you know, and his his whole she in the beginning when they come to her little podunk town and you know and then he's almost like the Pied Piper, you know, with his band and then he just draws her right along and uh, and she and she doesn't even realize that it's it's you know just all a shtick. Yeah, yeah. And she wants to escape to her at that point, isn't right, it? Right, exactly. It's her ticket out. And and I also, before we continue any further, I would like to say that uh, I want to comment on one of my favorite characters in the film, and the man who winds up taking the stains to uh, Babylon, my boss, is <laughs> uh, the lawn, lawn boy. You know, I really liked that scene outside the bus where she was just having that conversation with Lawn Boy and he was explaining, uh, you know, his whole Rasta culture and everything. Like, I enjoyed that. I, I liked I liked the fact that um, this movie, once again, wasn't about, like, it wasn't like a love story. Like, there wasn't anything. I felt like it was sort of about her discovery, her, her self-awakening and, and, you know, that sort of, uh, you know, that sort of teenage uh, angst of learning your philosophy in life, you know? Absolutely, right. it's, yeah. it's about her world opening up, isn't it? And her trying to find her place in it. Well, yeah, right. So, yeah, okay, yeah. so what, what, well, what's the message that she gave? You know, she said, "Okay, I've I've worked out my place in life. I've worked out what the world is about, and it's dog eat dog, and I've got to do whatever I got to do uh, to get ahead." That's the philosophy. That's essentially what she's learned. I mean, remember that conversation where um, you know, find, you know, Ray Winstone sort of finds out that once again, you know, he's down the bottom of the totem pole, and he goes into Sierra and. And he says, you know, what, you know, what you've turned into. And she says, yeah. exactly. So that's <laughs> that's what she's turned in. That's what um, her philosophy. That's what she's given into. That's her awakening. Right. Well, that, like I say, that's uh, you know, when you when you get to the end of the film, it's it's almost like it's kind of giving you a mixed message, isn't it? it is is that the message? Um, well, obviously, it's the message they wanted to put across, but. See, does I it work? Like, you know? I feel like they became more authentic. I don't feel like they were selling out at the end. I feel like they're falling into their own authenticity. You know, it's, I feel like I, I, don't, I don't know. I kind of I kind of like the ending. No, I, I so, yeah, I, 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 yeah, I, yeah, no, I, I don't. I think I'd read it the other way, but it's it's yeah. Is it is it you ironic know, or is it or is it fairy tale? Is it what she wants I mean, all along? I mean, that's what I did an shoot ending. that ending. Uh, I accepted um, an ending where her band becomes Ellen Aim and the attackers, and then it just morphs in the streets of fire. <laughs> well, I mean, to be fair, like really think about think about this as a kind of a perspective, okay? Look at like a band like the Go Go's, right? Look at where they started, where they came from, and then look at what they became like vacation and everything else. I mean, like you know, we got the beat. I mean. From I where can, they started, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, totally, yeah, me too, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I, I totally saw the Go Go's and the stains. I, I just saw that, like, and, and not just the, no, not just because they were solely women, but just that whole, like, when you really know where the Go Go's came out of, you know, that whole scene, like X and the Germs and all of that, and then to, you know, to go into that clean cut, you know, like. You know, the music is still there, but they were completely, you know, like the 180. So remind me, so and then you got this film came out pre pre Go-Go's, didn't it? Really? I'm I'm yeah, I'm, 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 ask, it, I'm so. asking. I think it's because 82. So that, so when when were the the, the Go-Go's were what 83, 84, 85? Uh, yeah, I think that's well, when uh, they became you know a, a bit more airbrushed. I think they were around a bit before that, weren't they? Right, 
I think they were. I think they started about eighty eighty one, but that yeah. was just in the bar it's scene. Part of that whole kind of Hollywood scene, like you, you were talking right, about, because like, um, right. they used to hang out with the Germans and stuff. And Darby right, Crash right, right. in eighty one, didn't he? Eighty two, right, right. So, yeah, so uh, yeah, I, I think this is actually post Go Go's actually. But it's interesting how there's a parallel there, and I mean, you know, I just it just kind of hit me when I was watching the film again, and I thought, yeah, that's that pretty much, and it sums up a lot. I mean, I mean, you know, here's a here's a question to you guys: Is uh, would you say that this film basically summarizes, you know, a kind of paradigm that uh, a standard paradigm for so many bands that just it, you know this kind of paradigm it's ageless. You know, this story could have taken place at any time. You know, it, it didn't necessarily have to take place. Absolutely, in, in, because I think one of the one of the things that that makes it uh, so so timeless is when the looters when they point out to her like you're only famous right now because of a gimmick you know and it becomes that that sort of deal of authenticity versus uh, you know media stunts and how much sure. of that really builds you you know how much of that really will keep your will sustain your fan base right and you know what I, I thought was funny too and maybe you know it's just me but you know you know the famous uh, the famous last words that. John Lydon had in, in the last pistols. Uh, Have you ever had the feeling you've been had? You've been, yeah, you ever had the feeling you've been screwed, right? Yeah, you know. Yeah. Well, I I thought I thought you know when Ray Winstone is telling all the skunks, when he's kind of saying, "Look, you know, you're being fucked over and you don't even know it. You're paying for hair dye. You're paying for posters. You're paying for fucking stuffed skunks like toy skunks and." This is see-through you know, like, tops as well. Don't forget right, the see-through tops. Right, you don't. Yeah, don't forget the see-through tops. Right, of course, Bernie Ledger. But yeah. uh, no, no, no. Hey, wait, what? <laughs> no, but uh, you know, this whole thing. I think you know that that kind of plays on on, on Leiden's statement too. You know, he's but here's channeling directly what Leiden said, isn't he? In, in exactly. Ex yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Big time. But here's a here's a question too that I I, I really hit me when I was watching this again last night. Would you would you really believe that all those girls would suddenly become enlightened immediately? That's because oh, of, oh, I've got that as a note written down here. It took them it took them um, a whole what week or so from from the time they were previously on on uh, television to um, accrue all this stuff, and then within within seconds, like. Uh, this man who they can't stand by virtue of the fact that he's not Corinne Burns uh, is telling right. them that they're telling them that they're uh, hang on twats or twats and he's twats, uh, twats. twats. <laughs> excuse me thank you Sticky um, and and uh, all of a sudden in seconds uh, rather than rebelling against him and or at least you know going home for a whole day and thinking about oh maybe he's right inside <laughs> seconds. Uh, they realise it's right. Yeah, absolutely. That was a part that I thought, oh, come on. But th uh, then again, it is it is a film, and we we understand that you sometimes have to make that leap of faith for artistic reasons because they want to push everything sure. into a ninety minute film. Sure. Uh, yeah, you, you know what I was thinking about uh, during that scene. No, what was that? Um, it was kind of the uh, you know when you get the mob in The Simpsons and that kind of mob mentality. <laughs> they'll just that mass uh, thing where they all just decide to go and do something else. Oh, they're famous. Somebody says, let's go and burn down the, uh, you know, the windmill or whatever, and yeah. uh, they do. So, yeah. <laughs> right. I was going to... No, go on. I was going to say, the one thing I wanted to talk about, not to derail our uh, current thread here, but uh, coming into my mind was uh, the one thing that I like about the film, too, is there's a moment where uh, 
Ray Winstone takes uh, Diane, and he takes her into uh, to meet his manager. And there's a band playing, uh, Black Randy yes, and the Metro yes. Squad. Man, I, the first time I saw this movie, I, my jaw almost hit the floor when I saw that. I couldn't believe Black Randy right. and the Metro Squad was in it. Amazing. What, right. A real band? Oh, yeah. 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 And I mean, they had a, they put out one album, and it's an amazing album. It's called, like, the, the name of the album is uh, Pass the Dust, I think, on Bowie. And uh, it's awesome. I mean, like, it really and it was, it's a really sad story because Black Randy was this dude who was, uh, a really quirky character who wound up eventually uh, passing to the uh, he succumbed to drugs, but uh, th that little that skinny weird looking guy with the glasses bouncing around, yeah, he was a uh, that was Black Randy. But um, it's a really it's funny as well when he's uh, uh, he comes in the room dressed as like a Mexican guy with the sombrero. The yeah, <laughs> I was wondering who that was. They had played in Los Angeles. And they'd done multiple gigs but he was a guy who was a real character that just kind of popped up out of the ground and unfortunately he uh succumbed to uh narcotics like many people did but it's really ironic that out of all the bands that are in the film that's the only legitimate band <laughs> and that yeah. he actually and he actually you know like he shows up later where he comes in as the mexican randy yeah, yeah, yeah. And, right, uh, yeah, yeah. And he right. kind of gets shit canned both times, doesn't he? Right, right, right. <laughs> and here, here, here's a really, here's a real funny thing too that I don't know if you guys noticed either. A little geek moment too. You know, Ray Winstone's manager. Do you ever see his face uh, in any other films? He was uh, Miles Drentel in Thirty Something. I'm showing myself as a late eighties, early nineties TV nerd there. <laughs> Right. He was Michael and Elliot's boss at the ad agency. <laughs> yeah. Thank you very much. Thank you. And and he was in the thing. He was in the thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know that famous line, "You got to be fucking kidding me." God, I'm trying to That's think of his name. Oh shit, yeah, now. No, but that was as soon as I saw his face, I went, "Yeah, man, that's the guy in the thing." Yeah, he's, uh, he's got one of those faces. He's been in loads Niles? of Niles? Niles? Uh, David Clennon. There you go. That's his name. David Clennon. Yeah, but I knew I knew him immediately as soon as I saw him. I thought, man, yeah, he was in the thing. So, um, the uh, let's get into the uh, the ending of the film. Let's continue to talk about this for just a little bit. I mean, about this idea that uh, you know, not to spoil, but uh, after the after you know the kind of uh, fiasco that the uh, stains go through where, you know, their, their kind of fan base rebels against them. We're like presented, say, we're, that, re that reminded me a bit of, uh, that had a bit of a touch of the Tommy about it. Right. Sure, waiting sure. For that, waiting for that audience to start singing, we're not going to take it. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. And there was also, you know, kind of a Ziggy Stardust, you know, mm. until they killed the man, you know, it's like, you know, yeah, yeah. it's that whole bringing, bringing a rising, Rise and fall in one fell swoop. Like I said, like fireworks, you know, they burn hard and they burn bright and they go up and everybody oohs and ahs and then they're gone. But, um, but the ending, you know, where they, they kind of present this, uh, pot, you know, you don't know if it's a possibility or if it's fact or you, you really don't know. It's just kind of like a scenario. And well, I'll tell you how, um, how I, uh, took it was that they were essentially being, doing what they were told. 
obviously they were doing it in a different way to at the start where you know Cohen's working in that shitty burger joint and she's doing what right. she's told there um and then now at the end they've gone through the whole kind of rebellion thing and being themselves and so on and they just wind up doing what they're told for some big corporate record company shooting videos and you know kind of blanding out their music for mass consumption so it's so. kind of like a Dante Dante's Inferno where yeah, they reach yeah. another yeah, another level what you of, wish for I guess yeah another level of compliance I refuse to believe they're blanded out I think they actually just uh, I think they you know they actually learn to play instruments and they and they're more accessible. I am down with that. <laughs> right. Okay. In in, cool. what a, in what amount of time, Wendy? I mean, you know, they they were on the road and they did they say right? We're going to take a we're going to take a good five six years off to learn how to really play our instruments. Yeah. Or did they? Was it like a Milli Vanilli scenario? You know. <sighs> right. Right. I, you're sure, <laughs> surely you're not suggesting that during the eighties people mimed on stage to. Uh, oh no! Of course not. Surely not. Right. But, you know, I, I wonder I wonder if the film, you know, I mean, obviously, you know, Adler had his own way about, you know, thinking about approaching the material. But I wonder in the end, you know, if, if they you know would have benefited from showing an alternate where, you know, Corinne's pregnant or the other two are working in like a gas station or they're working, you know, like, I mean, just to show the alternate where it's kind of like, well, did they go this way or did they go that way? You know, no, I guess I'm, it's. I'm, I'm glad happy ending. I'm happy for the happy ending. I'm all right with that. Well, but, but you don't know if it is we, a happy ending. Is, yeah, is that, that's the thing. You don't know if it is. It was yeah. a cynical ending. We don't. We don't know. I'd like to think that it's a a cynical ending because if if that's the happy ending, then, I, then that, 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 that's yeah. that's really where the eighties. I'm with Morris on this. <laughs> they did. Uh, they reshot the ending apparently because. Um, I guess test audiences didn't like the original ending. What was the original so, ending? Uh, I don't know. I don't know what the original ending was, but I'm, I'm just looking on uh, IMDb. It probably was I'm, like she's pregnant and they're all working at gas stations. Yeah, or, yeah it probably was. Mm-hmm. Or, or, well, probably what happened was I'm, Corinne went and said to the Ray Winstone character, I love you. Let's... Right. Let's go. Let's go back to England and 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 right. and, and and settle down in uh, and watch EastEnders every night. And yeah, that's and a surefire way to ruin. Or I think when that he was the says, original life. <laughs> yeah, I, I think the original ending was probably where he said, "Get on the bus," and she said, "Okay." Yeah. No, I think it was. Yeah. 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 I, that well, was actually, it. I don't even know if it was uh, was that because it said they had to reshoot the ending, and, and Laura Dern is noticeably taller in that last shot than she is in the rest of the movie. <laughs> so she'd obviously grown like a couple of inches in in the uh, in the meantime. Right. So any other? Actually, uh, we haven't said anything about the media circus side of it. We've talked about a lot about the band and about the interactions uh, between uh, the looters and uh, Corinne, but we. Sort of haven't spoken you know, the uh, the Fox News type uh, right. media media commentators and you know these these very people who are uh, you got the the guy on the side with with the uh, loaf mustache on the one <laughs> hand who's saying I don't understand this this is completely unmusical and, uh, and, and you've got ass, the, woman, the, the woman on the other side who thinks that she's supporting feminism but is you know really as well supporting bad musicianship. But yes. right. I mean, was, but no, but they're gone. I think uh, one thing that really sticks out in the whole film, in terms of all of it, is is that you know there's this whole kind of inauthenticity in all of it, where these people are coming across as really convicted and standing behind what they believe, 
but they're only using it as a platform to get to the next level. Whereas, I mean, like with the with this uh, journalist, where she's really seeming like she's authentic in the beginning, and she's really compassionate towards the girls and their movement and everything else. And then when you find out in the end where, you know, Corinne goes into the, the TV studio mm. and Buddy's like, well, you know, she doesn't work for us anymore. She's working for the National now and blah, 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 where she's used the entire movement to basically just propel herself to the next level. Yeah, it was so, just a stepping stone, wasn't it? For her? Right, exactly. Uh, yeah. right. Oh, and so she used... She's not your stepping stone. <laughs> I see what you've done there. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> And I mean, just like, you know, I mean, the whole industry, all of it is about, you know, getting, you know, it, it's about, used. right, exactly. Yeah. People being used and people being stepped on and however it gets you to the next stage, you know, I mean, and then, you know, and, and I think that's the initial core of the whole film is it's about regardless, you know, regardless of where you're, where you're coming from, like whether it's journalism or music or promotion or any of it. I think the whole thing is about, you know, who, you know, who is disposable and what what gets thrown to the wayside. And I think honestly, the only one that's really straight up and legitimate again is Dion Boy because yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. He talks about boy. Yeah, but he wants to he wants to help out his mate. Cuz he's just trying he's trying to get money together to get his buddy out of the bunk. Yes, yes. Right? And so, you know, and in the end, you know, I mean, you know, Diane Lane's character, she says, okay, here's the money, that, here, here, I'm going to take this money that I basically, like, just, you know, had to put a knife up to the promoter's neck to, to get the money. Here's the money to get your, your boy out of the jail, you know? And I find it interesting how um, after that conversation that she uh, originally had with the Ray Winstone character and she still feels, you know, pretty cold and heartless towards him but yet she realizes that Lawn Boy's uh, intentions were, were true and that's where her conscience uh, bugs her and so for just a few minutes she comes out out of that uh, sort of narcissistic side of you know get ahead at any cost and she um, she realizes that she's got to do the right thing by him because he is the one whose intentions are pure not not the looters not the metal corpses before them but, but yeah, the he's the only genuine one, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right there. Yeah, he's the he's the moral compass. He's definitely the moral compass. All right. Any final thoughts? I, I guess the thing is to you know for those people out there who've been listening to this and wondering, well, but you know, do I watch this or don't I watch this? Would this be a recommend from all of you? Absolutely. Sure. Yeah, I, I think it's a great movie. I really, really like it. I, I, sure, I, and, I, and I think. I was going to say, like, if at the time, you know, when this film came out, there was nothing really, there was nothing really uh, established in terms of, like Wendy said earlier, the Riot Girl movement, 
all of that. I mean, this this film predated all of it. So I mean, it's it's very interesting to watch it in in this current day and age where you know, uh, with Kathleen Hanna and Tegan and Sarah and all of the whole thing that everything that's come after it. Um, it's very interesting to look at it now. And I, I mean, people. Was, uh as Wendy said, is this very prescient in a lot of ways, the whole kind of media thing, the you know, reality exactly. TV thing as exactly. well. Exactly, exactly. And I mean, you know, right, the media manipulation, you know, social manipulation, but I think also in terms of, you know, uh, you know, the whole feminist empowerment thing and, you know, the the legitimacy of all of it. I mean, it's very, it's very interesting to me how you can, you can look at this, maybe and look back, and recollect when you saw it the first time, or for younger viewers, they can watch it and just say, wow, like, you know, the, you know like nothing has changed, or like, you know, this is kind of like pointing the cycle out where it just repeats, doesn't it? Right, right. Or they can, or right, this, this film points at where it's going to go, its eventual outcome, you know? A, a thought that popped into my head just now was um, over the, oh, no. uh, the, the film that. Um, I was speaking about with Zom on Love That Album uh, maybe a year or so ago, which was uh, Stardust and very much the David Essex character. I think his path follows a similar sort of thing, maybe not obviously about female empowerment, but this guy who you know looks like uh, he was in for the rock and roll, but really his agenda was something a bit more cynical, a bit more different. Uh, all along the way. So I, I sort of see even a parallel that this story had been told in a similar fashion, you know, maybe, you know, nine, ten years before. But really, I guess, you know, this, this story is as old as storytelling can be. Doesn't matter what the media is, whether it's something modern, you know, mass communicated via television or, or uh, records or, you know, something, something completely, uh, uh, older than that. I think it's a, it's still, you know, it's a very old, story of uh, you know, manipulation, whether it's by media or by some other ways. Right. See Sorry, uh, Morris, to, oh, to oh. butt in, can I just add one more thing? Oh, quickly? please, please do. Yeah, yeah, sorry, just a quick thing. There's a, a point where um, uh, Ray Winston is talking with, uh, uh, you know, Corinne, uh, and he says, all you are is uh, you're a pair of white stripes, referring to her hair. So <laughs> do you think this is where they got the, their name from? The fil- I think the film was ahead of its time. He could predict what was going to happen. Well, you, yeah. know, you think talentless women, the white stripes are the first thing that should come. Whoa, hey, no. Oh, no. <laughs> actually, yeah, yeah, being a drummer, Wendy, you, you are more than um, I actually, qualified to make that judgment call, aren't yeah, you? You so, know, yeah, yeah. Meg White is, is the only uh, uh, like glass house that I have every, every right to throw stones at, I think. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're right. But do you think they got it from this? Was, it, was that a coincidence or...? Uh, it's hard to say. I don't know. Put maybe put a message on um, on uh, Megan I mean, Jack's uh, uh, Facebook page and ask him. Jack's uh, spent his career kind of ripping other people off, pretty much, hasn't he? So, um, <laughs> so. And, and that follows the path of this film. He, he treats the, yeah, it as his Bible. There you go. Good lord. <laughs> <laughs> and, they, and they were fly, You know, the white stripes. They're definitely a, a gimmick. Yeah. Oh heck yeah! Yeah. <laughs> All right. Anyway, we'll be back in a moment. We'll to uh, uh, wrap up and speak about what we're going to talk on the next episode of See Here. You're listening to See Here. Eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one.
Mitch thought something big was coming up. This is Terry Frost, and I want to tell you about my new podcast, The Martian Driving. In the podcast, me and a guest will look at obscure but interesting speculative fiction movies. The ones that don't get enough love. The obscure movies that you catch late at night, you can't remember the name of, but you really like them. You can go to marsdrivein.blogspot.com or subscribe to the Paleo Cinema feed in iTunes. The Martian Driving Podcast. Watching the skies since 2012. This is the ghost of the King of Comics, Jack Kirby. When I'm not haunting Stan Lee, I'm listening to my favorite comic book podcast, Double Page Spread. Each week, Wendy Freeman talks to creators like Cullen Bunn, Mark Wade, Evan Dorkin, and more. She is one cool dame who knows a lot about comics. So when I'm at my drawn board in heaven cranking out fourth world pages, I'm listening to Double Page Spread. Available on iTunes, Libsyn, and the Stitcher Network. And we're back from break. Uh, hope you've enjoyed this episode of See Here. Um, just a little bit of housekeeping if you wish to contact us. Uh, we have a Facebook page, just I guess like every other individual in the world does. Uh, so you can look us up on, um, on uh, Facebook. Uh, see here podcast or is it see here I don't remember if you want to uh, send us an email send the email to see here podcast at gmail.com uh, you want to make some suggestions for future movies that we should cover we'd love that uh, please let your friends know that we exist it's it's early days yet so uh, maybe not um, all the intended audience knows but I would like to hope that there are people out there who love their rock and roll and or love their music and love their films, and we think it's a good match. So uh, please feel free to uh, let people know that this podcast exists. If you've enjoyed it, and if you haven't enjoyed it, please let people know because they may have better taste than you. All right, so next time uh, is my choice. And we're going for a film which I actually haven't watched, but I have wanted to watch for uh, a while. And I figured this is a good excuse as any. It's the Robert Altman film from 2006, a Prairie Home Companion. Oh, I haven't seen that either. Ah, uh, well, Tim. Yeah, yeah. This that's the one about. Uh, uh, trying to think of his name now. Garrison Keillor. Correct. That's we the did one. public pub, public radio, PBS, where his his short stories, The Prairie Home Companion. I think. Man, Garrison Keillor is such a mouth breather. Am I right? He's always breathing through his mouth. <laughs> drives me nuts. And he, and he always talks like this. Where he's got this thing about. Blah, 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 blah. We, we had a pecan pie, and it was very good pecan pie because it went with some uh, aromatic coffee at, Ma- at Ethel's uh, Lounge. And blah, blah, blah. Yeah, yeah. Save this for the next episode. we got to save this. Yeah. So, if yeah. You wanna, if, folks, if you want to hear more of that, tune into the next episode of See Here. As I said, this is a monthly podcast. So, uh, right. it'll be, it's, a, it's a few weeks yet, but I'll tell your friends. And uh, you get to hear right. Tim do that all over again. He'll probably uh, start off the show with that. If we're if we're really really lucky, um, I just want to say uh, I just want to say thank you to everyone out there that's really tuning in and listening. And I mean, you know, we want to cover all aspects of music, and we we welcome all suggestions. And there's a lot of films out there that we might have not even considered. And uh, like again, we we depend on you, our listeners, to provide us with kind of uh, input. And that it'll really help us out in figuring out where to go. And 
I mean, we don't really have a roadmap. We just basically, we're taking it wherever it takes us, wherever, you know, we, we kind of ride a wave and we'll, we'll take it, we'll ride it out to its conclusion. So I would just like to say thank you for whoever is uh, tuning in, wherever you may be. Thanks. Absolutely. I, I, I second that emotion. Yes, thirded. Thirded. And, and Bernie, I want to give I'm a, a guest thank this you. week, but uh, I, I will forfeit as well for you yes, guys. Indeed. Right. And Let's... thank you, Bernie. Bernie! Yeah, hey, it's, Bernie. it's been yeah. an absolute pleasure. An absolute yep. pleasure. If you guys ever thank... want me back, uh, I'm, I'm oh. ready, willing, and able. Just uh, give me a call, all right? I mean, I really enjoyed just closing my eyes and pretending I was talking about movies with Statham. <laughs> well, you know, Wendy, perhaps one day we can make that happen for you. Right. No, thank, thank you, Bernie, for jumping in on this episode because you really gave us all the orange. Oh, well, you know, it's just a natural effect I have on people. So, so, so right. Right, can, guys, can we can we all have like a, a, a round chorus? Just imagine that we're listening to Beethoven's Moonlight Sonata and we're singing. I've got the horn. He's got the horn. I, I don't know. Wendy, right. Wendy, have you heard any of the Derek and Clive stuff? No, I have not. Oh, you don't. Dudley Moore and Peter Cook when they're, they're alter egos. Well, I mean, I'm familiar, and I'm familiar. I saw Bedazzled, or not Bedazzled. What the fuck? Yeah, it's Bedazzled. That's what it is. Bedazzled. Yeah. You know, I, I'm familiar, but I'm not deeply familiar. Oh, well, oh. We'll, we'll send you some. You, you, right. yeah, you gotta you get need deep, to listen, Wendy. You gotta get deep, Wendy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, to give you an idea, Derek and Clive is a sort of thing that Zom would listen to and say, "That's filthy." So, um, you know what you're up for, right? Anyway, all right. Uh, thanks very much, all you listeners out there, or, or however many of you there are, and uh, we'll be back in a month to talk about a Prairie Home Companion on Sea Head Podcast. Until then, be nice to each other. Cheers. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.